If you missed the first two parts of the Trade Deadline Extravaganza pod here on the BS Podcast, you can find them on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Here is part three. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is stressful enough just with the airport situation. No matter where you're going, it's always packed. You're always worried the weather might be bad. Is my plane going to get delayed? You just want the actual place you're staying at to be a lights out experience. So if you've booked a vacation rental and you found yourself stuck making small talk with the host or you've arrived to find out it doesn't look anything like the pictures, you know, that's that's the worst. You could avoid the awkwardness with Verbo. Verbo has helped travelers find great private vacation rentals for nearly 30 years. You heard me correctly. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, here's part three of the trade deadline Palooza pod. It is 12.10 now. We are 10 minutes past the trade deadline. Chris Ryan has left us. Kyle Mann has joined us. Um, he was breaking down with uh, with our guy Charks, the Halliburton Sabonis trade you can hear on the Ringer NBA. KOC is here. He broke down that trade as well. Waz is here. He broke down that trade as well. Now we're going to break down all the trades that didn't happen because... Unless we start getting some tweets soon, it looks like the Lakers stood pat. It looks like the Knicks stu- stood pat, which I kind of can't believe. Casey, why did the Knicks do nothing? Wait, like I did not have that on my bingo card. Nobody really wanted Julius Randle. Um, I mean, nobody really wanted Evan Fournier or Alec Burks. Uh, they just don't have many guys with a ton of value. I think for the Knicks, they're in a position now where it's about waiting for somebody who wants to go there. And then those are the pieces that you use in a trade to get that player, if that even comes up. Um, so like I think for the Knicks, there's just nothing appealing out there for them. Kyle, why wouldn't they just trade the contracts they don't want for Westbrook and think of him as an expiring contract next year? Oh, my God. The Knicks are just... I don't know why... <laughs> The Knicks are in a tough situation because their whole system is failing itself because they really, if this thing was thriving and they could like continue the momentum, the problem is they have no momentum and that like their young players aren't getting to play. They're not shining quickly as much as I love him. And year two has not looked as good as he did last year within that thriving system. Uh, Randall, like KOC said, we've seen zero indication from Randall that he wants to adjust and be anything other than a like an inefficient primary, which just 
isn't working. And then Burks has been uninspiring. And then also, you know, you talk about guys wanting to come there. The other thing that's kind of bearing down on the Knicks right now is you're starting to see some more whispers of the like the thing that happened with Chicago, the mm. thing that happened with Minnesota, where it's like Tibbs is really good at coming in there and being like buying culture. If you buy in, my schemes are good we will surprise people and blitz them with our competence on defense. And we are going to be annoying to play and we're going to surprise people the next year. You don't surprise people as much. The Randall shooting goes down and now you start to hear the whispers of like, I don't, I mean, you know, Tibbs is playing RJ in the, in the waning seconds of a, of a, a big loss. It's like, I don't go play for that guy. Suddenly it's, it's less inspiring. It's just a lot of things converging at once for the Knicks. They're, uh, it's an amazing sort of dip that they, they've, they've hit here after such a great year last year. Yeah, it's funny. With the Knicks, like, if I'm a Knicks fan, was if I'm a Knicks fan, what am I feeling good about? I actually thought we could do this as a segment of, like, basically make, make so-and-so's fans feel better. If I'm a Knicks fan, what am I feeling good about? Because I've been hearing really for the last 15 years that, no, no, we're going to get some free agents. It's all fine. We're going to have some cap space. We're going to get it. No, no, we're, no, these guys are in and they're going to be able to get, and, and it's just not happening. So what do you feel good about if you're a Knicks fan? I think you can still feel good about RJ. I'm still yep. pretty optimistic about RJ and the type of player that he could be. Um, I don't think he's going to be as good as Ja Morant or as good as Zion, who was picked before, like literally directly before him. But I'm still optimistic about him. I've said it a million times. I'm a fan of Obi Toppins. Me too. Um, I'm with you. I, I, I like Obi Toppin a lot. Um, and I still like quickly. I still like, you know, a guy who can, who has some juice on the ball and can make a pull-up jump shot. Like, I, those are valuable players. You know what I'm saying? Um, in the long run, anyway. Other than that, uh, to me, it's like you got to get a guy to to decide to get his butt into the building. A, a, a guy guy, not a Julius Randle guy. Yeah. A real guy um, to decide that he wants to be in the garden. And I think that's when you'll see, all right, now some different dominoes got to fall. But they have to get that one guy. And I think they have to stay the course. You know, like this idea that you trade some of your young guys for somebody who's not really going to change your life that much. I don't think that's something you could do. You should do. Like, for instance, I'm glad they didn't try to get in on the Sabonis sweepstakes, right? Like that would have been a Knicks move from the past. Like, yeah, let's throw Toppin in there. Let's throw another young guy in there. Let's, let's maybe even throw a future pick in there. Let's get into the Sabonis game. Like, I'm glad they didn't do something like that. So it's nice to see that the, at least they're staying the course of what their plan is, which is like when a superstar comes available who's interested, they can pounce. They have some young things that they can move. They have manageable contracts that they can move around. And I think they should just stay the course. That's the positive thing is things aren't disastrous as they have been in previous years. KOC? I, I agree with that, Waz. I mean, I, I think with this team, like despite everything that happened last year and how amazing it was and how fun it was, the 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 circumstances at this point are focused on the youth and the development. And like RJ Barrett, this past, past month or so has been really good, averaging 23 points, 38% from three. I mean, he's just playing still good on defense as well. So you got to feel good about the development of your young guys for the Knicks. The part that, I mean, like you feel good about that as a Knicks fan, but what I don't feel good about is the fact that as Kyle brought up, like with Tibbs, 
Like they traded a first round pick for Cam Reddish and he plays in five of nine possible games since he got back from his injury, uh, a high of 15 minutes per game. You know, you hear rumblings of like further dysfunction between or rather uh, disagreement between the coaching staff and the front office, just like Chicago. Like this has happened before. And you have to wonder for the Knicks after everything that happened last year. Is Tibbs the right guy for this roster moving forward? Uh, I think he could be. Like, Tibbs is not a bad coach. It's just you got to give him the right guys to play. And for the Knicks now, like, like Cam Reddish has to play. Like, you don't give up a first. I don't, he, he has to play. Like, come on, Tibbs. What are we waiting for? I just don't understand. It just feels like very disconnected when the, the, the idea of hiring Tibbs was to have an aligned organization. Leon Rose and right. Tibbs connected from front office to coaching staff to the players in that locker room. And now it just feels totally disconnected with everything and the object- objectives of this roster here. And I- I'd be I'd be very scared if I'm a Knicks fan in that sense because you're still in the same place you were before where you're just waiting for somebody who wants to come to you and play in New York. With Tibbs, I had, that, I had this theory with Kirk Cousins in football where sometimes a guy should just move around every single year. Every single year, it's a new <laughs> team. Kirk Cousins, like a lot of teams, they need a quarterback. They haven't had a good quarterback in a couple of years. He can come in, he can be like, he can be solid, right? He can throw the ball around. He'll throw for 4,500 yards. You don't have to watch him enough that you start getting annoyed by some of his terrible qualities. And he could just move around the league, go nine and seven. And you just fit, like he could be the Steelers QB next year. And you go, that was great. So much better than it would have gone with Mason Rudolph. Thanks, Kirk Cousins. And then he goes to the next team. Tibbs is kind of like that for me as a coach. Maybe he should just move every year to a different team and you just get that one year Tibbs boost. And then year two, like we've just seen this over and over again. I think he's a really smart coach, but there's, it, this is not a pattern anymore. This he seems might like the way it assistant. is. He, he can't be the CEO. He destined to be the the assistant guy who helps you be the defensive coordinator type of guy and and, and keep it pushing because you know it, it feels like he wears everybody thin. My Chicago buddies were calling it year two Tibbs. They're like, yeah, yeah, just 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 wait for year two. Just wait for year two. Well, I'm glad you said the thing about CEO was because I always think about. Um, I always think about coaches like certain types of CEOs. Now, I'm, I'm not like a business-minded person, but I see this as like, maybe this is a shift of, there are sort of like CEOs that take you to the next level and then there's C, like startup CEOs and then CEOs that, you know, help you go public kind of thing, you know? Like, like Phil Jackson was sort of a destination coach. It was like, he wasn't the guy that was going to come in and want to work with young players. It was, maybe we're just seeing a shift from, we used to think of Tibbs because of the Chicago Times is like a guy who coached contenders. Maybe he's more of a, a guy who just comes in and shifts culture and then you bring somebody else in. So could be a case of that. KOC, you're not surprised the Lakers did nothing? No, I'm not surprised. Not many options out there for them. I think the, the Bill Orham report, like that, that's a real thing. Uh, Bill Warren reported that the Lakers would rather wait until the offseason because then they could deal their 2027 first and a 2029 first with Westbrook. So I think for the Lakers, I mean, I I take this as, okay, we're just going to explore the buyout market. You know, might get Schroeder, Paul Millsap, potentially if he hits the buyout market. And, you know, congrats. I mean, congrats. Like, you you know, this year's disastrous, but I think they're thinking 
We'll re-enter the offseason, try to flip Westbrook out elsewhere, do everything we can to recruit Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, whoever it might be. That's the logic there. Will it happen? Probably not. I just but don't think you never know. I think they're going into a gunfight with like a couple knives with that. If your offer is like, hey, we're in a superstar hunt. Here's Russell Westbrook, <laughs> Taylor Horton Tucker, and two first rounders five and seven years from now. I'm pretty sure there's five teams that can top that, right? So what you end up doing is you have to roll the dice on somebody else's semi-problem. Also, it only makes ever makes sense if you're able to make the credible threat that in the offseason, I can make cap space to sign this person outright, right? That's what Philadelphia was saying to Brooklyn, like, oh, we don't have to do this. We can wait till the offseason. We can completely just take a blowtorch to our postseason hopes this year and just wait for James this summer and you'll get nothing for him, et cetera, et cetera. If you can't make that credible, you know, threat to a team, then it's going to be tough for you to acquire a superstar that way. Kyle, is it fair to say maybe the Lakers just look at this and go, we won a title. We traded all those picks to win another title. We have LeBron and AD. It's not going to work out this year. It happens. We'll just wait till the summer. It's okay. It's okay. I don't, I personally don't think they're wired that way and there's too many expectations and too many Laker fans. But that's really where they should be mentally. Now, now, will they get there? I don't know, but that's where they should be, right? I mean, this is scary because once you get in that 35, I mean, I think I heard maybe it was Perk on TV say this is a prime year for LeBron. I mean, this is a like no, um, LeBron's LeBron's He's cycle is, prime. Have, as we've seen is different. He still does incredible stuff. But this 35 to 40 range, I mean, if you're talking about punting another year of that, I just I, that makes me feel like they are not going to kick back. They may not have a choice. I think what you said was maybe you take on the burden of someone else and you assume, and it, Waz and I were talking about the hubris that some teams can have and thinking that they can fix a player the way somebody that's yeah. dating somebody be like, I, I could fix them. Doing that with Westbrook got them into this situation. And it's just, this is the way it works with LeBron. He comes in and he just sort of, he uses up all your resources and you try to get the most out of it. But in terms of like the clock ticking and like whether or not they're going to be comfortable enough to sit back and say, well, we tried this, you know, this isn't going to work this year. I've, I have a hard time seeing them do that just because I think the clock is ticking so loud for LeBron at this point. You know what? I, I, I disagree. I disagree there, guys. I, I like, I don't think the clock's ticking loudly at all with LeBron. This past month, he's averaging 30 points per game, <laughs> nine rebounds, six assists, playing, playing center for the Lakers. LeBron James has always been a guy who does whatever his team needs, whether it's becoming a playmaker, becoming the go-to scorer, defending whoever it needs to be in certain playoff series. But for the past month without AD, with Russ sucking, LeBron has played center for this team. And like, despite him being 37 years old, and clearly he's past his athletic prime, he is a 100% like pull up LeBron with the heat. Like he is way past that level in terms of athleticism. But production-wise, LeBron has constantly adapted and figured out how to maximize who he is at this stage of his career. And I agree with Perk. Like, it is still, in terms of production, a prime year for LeBron James. Athleticism, no. But production, LeBron is still a championship player, and it's a wasteful year that it's, that he's not going to be able to compete for a championship unless Russ uh, somehow figures things out. The problem, though, is physically, he can't do it night after night, week, exactly. week after week like he used to. And exactly. we saw, like, they had to really put some miles on him to try to keep the team 
somewhere near the seventh, eighth seed. And he's playing center and he's doing all this stuff. And he played really well for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, his knees went on him. And now he's playing hurt. And this is this is what happens with older players. We saw yes. it with Kobe. We saw it with Jordan. And, you know, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're putting crazy miles on him when you're going to be a nine seed. By the way, in, in 2012 version of LeBron, or my favorite version of LeBron, tw- 2009 version when they lost to the to, to the Magic. I love that. I on, love that version. Was <laughs> on this team, they're a three seed. They're a three seed. They're a two seed. <laughs> he's doing everything every single night, and it, and he's not even breaking a sweat doing it with this team, like with this level of AD, with Westbrook doing it. Because again, we saw it happen. We saw it happen with Ira Noble. We yeah. saw it happen with <laughs> Booby Gibson. We saw it happen over and over. Washed up Ben Wallace, Wally Zerbiak. We we constantly saw this happening, right? Andy Varajal, right? But now he just can't carry that level of burden night in and night out and just kill people every day. Um, Although he's still very good to great, you know, when he can get to that level. He can't carry teams anymore. I, I think the opponents are better too, though. Like, yeah. isn't the league deeper and better now mm-hmm. as well than like those Cavs, LeBron James teams? I mean, like the league is just so deep at this point. We were talking about the playing in the earlier version of the East. Like, it's loaded with Wow, stars. I can't believe you're disrespecting the Ubuntu Celtics like that. Wow. <laughs> no, but, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's an important point. And I, it's something I think about a lot because I'm always trying to compare the eras and which era had more talent? When was it easier and harder to win? Things like that. And there was a time not that long ago, probably in the 13, 14 range, where if you had LeBron and Anthony Davis, even at the points of their career they are now, it didn't really matter who the other guys on the team were. They were probably going to win 55 games. Yeah. And now it's like the league's fucking deep. We, Kyle, we did in part two, we talked about how crazy these playoffs are going to be, where you have the, the Celtics might be the eight seed. Brooklyn might be a nine or a 10 seed in the playing thing. And it's like, whatever seed you're in in round one, you're going to be playing somebody who has really good players in their team. You could be playing the Celtics that has Tatum, who, you know, is starting in the all-star game. You could be playing Miami, who has all of these dudes who have been in big games on and on down the line. I'm with KOC. I think the talent thing, and there's a couple reasons for it. It's just like we've gotten really lucky with the last few drafts and guys sitting their prime, but also like guys being able to play longer. And like fucking Chris Paul still being good when he yeah, was in the 2005 draft is inconceivable. LeBron was in the 03 draft, you know? And so you have like these almost like three generations of players. And I don't think you can get by with just the two guys anymore. You need some, more. Some of this too is LeBron's own doing because he kicked oh, off yeah. the era of which, you know, it, whether or not it would have happened anyway, it probably would have had all across basketball. I think the player empowerment thing has just rippled out with the transfer portal, whole other conversation. But I mean, now he's having to basically, you know, you create the thing you dread. Basically, he's having to beat these teams that are a result of players being empowered and they're teaming up and joining up. But then also beyond that, like you were saying, Bill, like the talent, I was making this argument to Charks the other day that like, the NBA is just ultra talented because it's almost like an iPhone where it's like every time it's the new one comes out, it's twice as good as the one before. It's just like we have so many good players. And if you like just go back through the past four drafts, like you were saying, like just so many good players are entering the league every year, which, you know, two sides to that. It makes it more incredible that LeBron has had the longevity that he's had. But I think that uh, on the age thing, yeah, it's like 
I know this. It's just like you're you're less likely to sustain a big hit. And when it's over, it's over. Whereas like when he's yes, he can do Especially a whole the lot. knees too. The knee <laughs> the knees you just have so many jumps in your knees. And I don't care <laughs> how big your cryo chamber is in your house or whatever else whatever else you have going. It's like a car. You can get a car at two hundred thousand miles, maybe. But, but, but what if you're on that TB12, Bill? You might be able to get a couple more jumps out of so, you on that TB12. That's a good example, though. He He's not able to do that unless they change all the rules in favor of the quarterbacks, right? Yeah. He just the, There would have been too many hits, and he just wouldn't have been a played at 44. I think the league, the NBA league, is more physical than it's been in a few years. I watched these games. Like the hit John Moran took the other night from Marcus Morris. It seems like the league has moved away from finesse and and it's even more intense. And maybe social media is a piece of that because you can't do what Harden did in Sacramento last week. You, If you do the four-point game where you don't play defense, you're going to get raked over the coals for two days. There's the, You yeah. can't hide in the NBA like you, like you used to. The guys in the 80s could just not play for a week, not give a shit. So I, it's a weird time for the league. It's a good time for the league. I want to talk about the player empowerment stuff, but we got to take a quick break. So KOC, player empowerment, we're in year 12, and we just saw the first ever double player empowerment trade here with Harden and Simmons. <laughs> One guy quit on his team nine months ago. The other guy quit on his other team 12 months ago and then forced his way to this new team, which he also decided he didn't like. When has this just become bad? When have we, and are we there yet? Because I was talking to a friend of mine today and I was just like, I don't like the league as much. I still love basketball. I still love watching basketball. And I don't know whether I'm the old guy who's, oh, things were better back in the day because I don't feel that way about the NFL. I like the NFL more than I have in 10 years. I think the NFL, forget about the owners and how reprehensible some of that stuff's been and Goodell as a commissioner. I'm just talking about the actual product and the players they have in the league. I like it more than I, I've liked it probably since the 2000s. I really enjoy watching these quarterbacks and how they've been able to open up and I don't have to watch guys get carried off the field every five seconds. And I feel like the NBA is veering the other way with these guys that the moment they don't like their situation, they're just like, get me out of here. And it's turned into a get me out of here league, which is why the guys like Ja and Jokic, who are just like, this is where I want to be. I love playing with these guys. Jokic loses Murray and Porter. You never heard him say like, oh man, well, I don't know. We'll see if I stay. Like, he's just like, who's on my team? I'm wearing this uniform. I'm playing. I don't like where the league's going, KOC. Where do you stand on all this? I mean, you brought up the NFL. With the NFL, but their changes were like to on-field rules to improve the products. With the NBA, you're talking about like, well, what are the, what's the off-court, you know, the negotiated BRI stuff, you know, CBA that they're <laughs> going to have to change to address the issue that you ha have with it. I mean, I, I think for the NBA, there's pros and cons. I mean, we're having a great time talking about all these trades. I'm having fun. I'm I'm enjoying the conversations and the stories. That's part of the reason why I love the NBA. It's like I love the sport of basketball itself. I also love all the stories and the business side of you know the basketball as well. So I personally enjoy like all this drama and the fact that players are able to move. However, from the team perspective, building out a roster, building a culture, building an identity. That is so important, you know, for fans, for growing a connection with a team and having really something that you feel like you're invested in. And so for the NBA, I would be curious about like how they think 
that affects their bottom line in terms of growing the game out in the United States. Because with the NFL, like, you know, like the Steelers have an identity. The, the Ravens have an identity. Like with the NBA, teams don't really have that type of an identity. And and that that's just different. I wouldn't say it's worse, but it's definitely different than like the way we experience the NFL um, as a fan. Yeah, I, I first I hate the term player empowerment era. Um, I remember I talked to Dominique Foxworth about it one day, and it was just like, what are they empowered to do? Pick teams, right? Uh, like, and you know, and and to speak to that specifically, like, there's a big difference between LeBron basically signing his um, rookie extension, as it were, and saying, I'm not going to do the full six years. I'm going to do the four as a signal to everybody, like, get your asses ready that summer. I'm going to be available, right? Yep. And marshalling a lot of interest around him being available at 25, 26 years old, best player since Jordan or whatever. There's a difference between that and Ben Simmons having four years left on his deal and refusing the hoop. That's, like, to me, those are worlds apart. Like, what Ben Agreed. Simmons did was fucked up, was stupid, and shouldn't be allowed to happen. Like, straight up. Like, you can be mad at your teammates. You can want to be on another team. You can put pressure on your front office and management. But, bro, you should be showing up to work. Okay? <laughs> and you should be busting your ass. Like, James Harden, what he did at the end of, of Houston, that was dicey. That was very shaky. Like, the expectation from everybody should be that we show up and we bust our ass to play. You know, um, that's why I was, like, annoyed by the John Wall thing. It's, like, a lot of this stuff I feel like goes towards devaluing the actual product, the actual game. And I honestly think it's Adam freaking Silver's fault. Uh, one, because, you know, all of this emphasis on winning the internet, all of this emphasis on all of that 365 sport, blah, blah, blah. And quite frankly, like, they devalue the actual product on the floor. Um, as for, like, player, I don't think the players are actually empowered to do much. They get folded up every fucking CBA. I don't know how powerful these guys actually are. I just think if you're signed, fam, you should show up to the game and try your hardest. Now, if you're yelling at dudes like Jimmy Butler in practice, making shit uncomfortable, I'm for that, right? But Jimmy Butler didn't say, yo... I'm leaving the team. I'm not showing up because I can't stand these bum-ass kids. He was like, no, I'm going to make things very uncomfortable for them while also actually doing my job. Some of this other stuff is just garbage, quite frankly. I don't know why we got to categorize it as Ben Simmons has power. Ben Simmons was being a nuisance and a baby. And he, he got really lucky that James Harden also was tired of where he was at. And he ended up in Brooklyn because it could have got dark for him in some of these other markets. Yeah, that's a good point. It it shouldn't be called the player empowerment era. It should be called like the merry-go-round era. Because <laughs> like, that's man. really what it is. And I'm with you on Simmons. I was explaining my wife knows nothing. And I was like, she's like, any big trades today? And I was like, yeah, this Ben Simmons thing. And she and she's like, oh, what's going on with him? Like, she literally knows nothing. I'm like, well, he hasn't played for eight months because he really sucked in the playoffs. And then, <laughs> which is unbelievable. And, and then unbelievable. His, coach, his coach said afterwards, he wasn't sure if, you know, he was a reliable point guard and his feelings were hurt. So he hasn't played since. And, and they're also not paying him and he's cost himself $20 million. And she was just like, what? Like, like I was thinking like, how would I have explained that to myself 25 years ago that this was an actual thing that happened? 
you know? And, and then the hardened thing a year ago, if we had said to each other, so he's going to force his way to Brooklyn and a year from now, he's going to force his way. So I'm like, no, that's too crazy. Come on. Um, yeah. Kyle, you love the actual mechanics of basketball as much as anybody I've met. And yet this stuff is overshadowing it constantly. I see the KOC point because I agree with you. It's more fun for people like us, right? It's more fun for podcast content and angles and our website and all those different things. But on the other hand, I think it's telling that the teams that have resonated the most this season with fans, with the people who actually give a shit, are Memphis and Cleveland and Phoenix and Golden State. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. four teams. And a little bit Toronto too, where it's like teams that drafted smart, that tried to build some sort of culture, that built around a guy who actually wants to be there. And, you know, and I, I think we like that. I think we like the idea of teams staying together of nucleuses versus like, oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I hate the, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Era. And maybe that's what we should call. What's your, where do you stand, Kyle? I think that's, I think it's important that like, la we haven't seen like a full shift into like every single year, the team up teams are winning. I think it, like this past, these past playoffs, if like Brooklyn had knocked off that Milwaukee team that had kind of gelled over time, if they had just jumped in and knocked them off, which they might have, it's probably better for the league that they, that they didn't. But I think in terms of like the overall product, I think that we're, moving, I do think it's important that we don't get to a point where we just have this like upper echelon of the league that you have to have a merry-go-round team to win. And I think it's important for the product, like you were saying, for the Memphises for, we'll see, I mean, we'll see what Memphis does in the playoffs, but you know, Chris Paul also went and joined a team that was already working. I mean, the players, the players are empowered to kind of make decisions for themselves and there's a whole spectrum for that. But in terms of like the the product itself, I do think we're on a better path than we were in the past, mm. uh, specifically because I was watching and I think Harden was kind of a big part of that. Maybe Maury discovering or just figuring out that, hey, if we get this one heliocentric player and we just like build around him and just spam these certain parts of production like threes, layups, and, and generating fouls. I think we're kind of moving out of that era. Uh, do y'all see what I mean? Like, I mean, for like from 2018 to 2020, I feel like we were obsessed with like, we need to get like a Luca, a Harden, a person that can like run a crazy amount of pick and rolls and draw a ton of fouls. I feel like we're moving more towards a Warriors model where we're valuing like wings that can be like playmakers or shooters. It's not as like you have one player, they carry a crazy load. I know that's more of like an on-court nerdy yeah. <laughs> observation but i do think no, but it's we're a on good a better point, i think we're on a well, better track than we were like a couple years ago i, I think i've seen I, improvement. i think to, to kyle's point there about the on court I, I think it's also true in terms of the styles of teams i mean we do have these teams that you know it's a super team guys force their ways there they they talk about it and try to get together but we do have those homegrown teams I mean, I'd like there's just more extremes in a way. Like we're still going to have those Grizzlies teams, those Cavs teams that are homegrown and young and exciting. And they may make one one big tweak like the Suns did getting Chris Paul that put them over the top. Like that could happen in a year or two or three for Memphis or Cleveland. Like we, we do have those heliocentric offenses in the NBA. We have defenses that switch a ton of screens like the Brooklyn Nets. We have teams that don't switch screens. Like I think there's just such a range of styles in terms of team building but also like player and team system styles like that that's all of it like together is why i love basketball more than i ever have right now i mean because everything is just so different there's so many different types of styles to watch and consume whether it's the drama whether it's the on court 
or whether it's like the business side with all the trades that we're talking about today. I, I personally, um, player empowerment, merry-go-round era, whatever you want to call it, um, I'm cool with it personally. I, I like a lot of the movement. It's fun. Was maybe it's the social media era because you think yeah. like all this is. really starts when it is oh nine two thousand ten yes. right around the decision, but that's when Twitter's starting and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know yeah. the thing the thing that makes it so hard to police. I'm with you. I actually think Adam Silver has done a poor job handling some of this stuff because I think it really looks bad that over and over again, guys can just force them out of situations. Bill, the league office refused to come out and say what Simmons was doing was fucked up and bad. Right. They didn't want to say it. They wanted the Sixers to punish him. Like, they wanted that. They wanted Ben to get punished and fine, but they didn't want to come out and officially be like, this is bullshit. Could you imagine David Stern allowing for that? And not that David Stern was a perfect angel. He had some warts. He had Papa, some warts. Papa Stern. I'm not trying to get all paternalistic <laughs> about it. But David Stern would have never, ever stood for the Ben Simmons situation. Well, ever. But then the Harden situation, too, I just think it's impossible to police because obviously there's been tampering galore over and over again, going back to when LeBron you, knew. Wait, do you think that Harden has Daryl Morey's number? Is that possible? <laughs> I think I think intermediaries are used constantly with this stuff. I don't think people are texting each other. Calling, I think there's no trail, but I think there's always third third people, fourth people involved. This goes back to when KOC and I, for LeBron's last year in Cleveland, we were like, he's going to the Lakers. Remember? We we were like yeah, on an island. Yep. We were like, he's going to the Lakers. This is happening. And people, uh, it happened. I think over and over and over again, We've seen that the NBA can't police this at all, that they have no recourse. We haven't seen anybody punished in any real way. And it's just going to keep happening. And I'm not sure they care, but I don't, you know, I I, I think it's going to lead to an unhappier league. Honestly, like it's turning into the real housewives of the National Basketball Association. There's there's no, there's no alternative. You know why? Because the owners, remember, they used to have their seven-year contracts where they could lock these dudes up and shackle them and, 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 hey, you're not moving from this damn decrepit franchise. As a matter of fact, I'm going I'm going to the bank just knowing that I have you locked for here and I could do whatever I want with the roster. Yeah, but what, so. but what was the issue with that? They started Remember? overpaying guys. They couldn't, they they, couldn't you help made it. themselves. They, they, so they couldn't the help trail. themselves. They made terrible contracts. And they were like, oh my God, save us from ourselves. We got to make the contract shorter. And now that led to this. But yeah, it all goes back to the league can't police themselves for making terrible period, decisions. Period. Like Julius Randle in the old days would have a seven-year contract right now. It would be like next year, seven years, 120 yeah. For Julius Randle. The Knicks fans are like, oh my God, that's the whole decade. Shoot me. Should the NBA, I mean, like we're talking about like all this tampering that's obviously going on in some form. Should the NBA just drop tampering instead of having these fake, you know, slap on the wrists rules or is like, because there's no policing it. Like you said, Bill, like, is it the type of thing the NBA has to just say, you know what? Tampering is okay. I mean, they kind of effectively already have with the no. joke of the fines that teams no, get. No, no, no. Once it's out, no. it's out. I mean, like, I, it's like it's kind of like the name, image, likeness thing in college. It's just like once you pass that point, it's like it'd be like if I went to the roof of a building and just cut a pillowcase open and you, the feathers are out there. I'm never going to get them all back. Like it's over. They can't go back. How could you trace it? How could you police it? And the players How could, could you tamper with it? each other. That's the thing you can't but police. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, and I want to be careful about what I'm saying here. 
is that sports is what they're selling is they're tapping into a certain level of delusion and mania, right? That they're selling to the people. You don't want to snap your customers out of that delusion and mania with too much real talk. Because that kind of fucks up the fantasy and the delusion. Like, you can't just keep invoking, like, well, this already happens. Well, these guys are mercenaries and don't give a fuck about your team or your city, actually. (laughs) Well, this is what... You can't do that as a business, man. That's why they need Mm. to be policing this shit more strictly, honestly, man. Because, like, you can't have this. You know, at a certain point where Kyrie's like, oh, January 6th, I got paid sick leave. I'm like, come on, fam. What are we doing? This is sports. I want to say I wrote about this. I did a whole column about this in 0809 range about the illusion of hope. I think that was what I called the column where it was like that became this new this. this new thing the NBA was kind of selling us, right? It was like you don't have hope, but maybe down the road you will. <laughs> and it's like, oh. <laughs> and I think it was in the 0809 range because we had all those teams kind of jacking and create 2010 cap space, right? And at some point we were all looking at it going, well, there's eight teams that are going to have cap space. There's four guys you want. Some people are going to have their feelings hurt, but everybody was doing it. There was no tanking rules against it. And people were sitting guys and doing the whole thing. And I feel like that's around when it started for the illusion of hope thing. Before then, I, I don't, I just think the GMs and the teams were pretty stupid. Like they didn't look at team building that they weren't thinking like seven chess moves ahead. Riley was really the first guy who started thinking that way. Uh, the Knicks tried, but they were incompetent. But, um, <laughs> but now, now we're, it's basically been a decade and a half of it. KOC. Could, could the NBA have something like, I was just thinking about this while you guys were talking there, but like for like this illusion of hope, Maybe, maybe the solution could be like a, a two-way no trade clause where the player and the team are married to each other for the duration of the supermax. Is there like if you're talking about you're worried about players demanding trades? I'm just trying to think of solutions. I don't know if this is a good idea, but I'm just throwing that thought out there where like the player cannot be traded. The team can't trade the player, the player cannot request a trade. They are together for three years, four years, whatever it might be. I wrote that, I looked it up, I wrote it February 2010. And it was like, at that time we had, you know, Jermaine O'Neal was making more money than Kevin Durant and Westbrook and Harden, all those guys combined. (laughs) I had Rasheed Wallace roped the Celtics in that terrible contract that they regretted. We had Tracy McGrady making 22.4 million a year on the bench, not being able to cheap trading. Gilbert Arenas, Chauncey Billups. We had Jamal Tinsley being paid not to play. So it was its own kind of crisis, right? We had a lot of guys making big money that either were hurt, weren't playing, and it was bad, and there was no way out, and you couldn't fix your team. And the solution was, let's make the contract shorter, but now we're in the merry-go-round era. And I guess in some ways it's more fun, but... I think I think it would be fine. I think all of this stuff would be fine if, you know, again, like, this, the stuff with the regular season, I really think, 82 games. I know I'm not a genius for saying this. It's just too freaking long. There's too mm. many games. And it's and another problem is hard for like casual fans to figure out when they need to care about the NBA besides the playoffs. Like when when should you be watching regular M- season NBA? When guys aren't sitting down, well, that's happening all season. When teams aren't tanking, well, pretty much after the trade deadline, they're off to the races except for the Sacramento Kings. You know, like, when are you supposed (laughs) to be watching 
you know, like when are you supposed to be watching the NBA? Do you guys think? Do you guys feel that this year? Do you feel it? Like does the Thursday night game feel like it used to? The TNT game? Do you feel like the same kind of whatever? Because I I'm with you. I don't I don't feel it too much way. inventory. Well, the the contenders have all been in such flux that I think it's made it less, you know, consistently like end to end. Well, COVID's had a big part of that, too. You know, but I was going to say, too, that to tack on to your thing about the hope is, I mean, if people and I think Waz said some version of this, too, that like if people stopped hoping, then the product would fail. I think what they've done is kind of like what TV shows have done, uh, where uh, they've talked about this on some of our pods, where it's like TV shows figured out at some point that like. The, the theorizing was the thing that really got people mm. going. And, yep. and it's like, and like the hope is the dopamine that they can continue to like. And, and I think you, you, I think the social media thing is kind of, I'm, I'm becoming uh, Charlie from always sunny in the room at the pointing now, but like the <laughs> social media is the same type of like algorithmic, like you're just on the hook. It's like this hit that you just keep wanting. I think fans, they can say they hate it, but they just keep coming back because that hope is, is so seductive. And we see that around the draft too. I mean, people just, they, they keep, falling for it over and over again that that uh, illusion of hope the hope is the is the product that that uh, they keep getting I mean they by. keep coming back for the tweets and the transactions but can they come watch Shen Goon play for the love of god KOC <laughs> oh baby Please. I mean I think I think I think that exists though I mean okay. I, I I do I think like I I did like a Shen Goon video Nick, it's like a you know a hundred thousand views. Like Kyle, your OKC okay, video got, got, got like five hundred K views on YouTube. Like there's like That's I think exactly there's a market. It. There's a market for these players who are under the radar and these teams. Like you mentioned earlier, Bill, the Cavs, the Grizzlies. People love those teams, those players. I still think like there's a, a general excitement that fans have for that. It's just, we have it all. It's like, that's what the internet is. Like the internet gives you everything all at once. There's something for everybody. And I think that's what the NBA provides. There's something for everybody, depending on their style of a fan that you are. You, you, I was thinking back about this today to tie in what you're saying, KOC. You, you know, my relationship with James Harden, totally disconnected from him. I'm a basketball. I don't have an NBA team. I s- always say I skate between people's misery. I go to sleep at night, sleep like a baby. I don't care. But like <laughs> James Harden, I was thinking about James Harden and I was like, what? When was the time in my life when I most enjoyed him? And I was talking to a buddy of mine. I was like, can you remember when James Harden was this like six man secondary playmaker that could just go off? And he terrified other playoff teams to the point where they would try to shut him down. That was the most fun he ever was. And that was like before he was an actualized thing. And I think people just get really excited about it. Like you were talking about KFC, the, the expectations just kind of become the death of joy. That's why it's more fun to root for a team that's hasn't gotten there yet because the pressure's not on yet. So you're playing with house money and it's just it's, it's the Memphis fun. stage right now in Cleveland. Same thing. Best example. Yeah, it's. It's a really weird time for the NBA. We're going to end part three. Waz, you can either stay with us for part four. We're going to bring Mahoney in or uh, or you can go and, and do your thing. Happy I'm, belated I'm birthday, Leonardo- by the way, Waz. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm not fucking leaving. All right. Uh, All right. So we're gonna end, <laughs> I thought we're you gonna were going to go do three. a West Pretty Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do... We're going to break a rule. We're going to have a five-man podcast. I swear it's going to work. Rob Mahoney's going to be back and we'll do big picture winners and losers. Uh, coming up next. That was uh, part three, produced by Kyle Creighton. You can hear the other two parts as well on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It is now almost one o'clock. See you in five minutes.